Hello, and welcome to Scanet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe. And I am your other host, Andrei Karenkov. In this episode, we'll be talking about OpenAI's new big dull E model for creating images, as well as Google's new language model called Palm. We'll talk about an autonomous X-ray machine being cleared for use in the EU, and about a company using autonomous self-driving trucks. Uh, to drive uh, 600-mile stretches. We'll talk about California having a new law about AI-powered hiring and uh, AI analyzing uh, intercepted conversations in the Russia-Ukraine war. And we'll end with some fun things related to hugging robots and AI used in museum exhibit for kids. And to kick us off in research and advancements uh, today, we have OpenAI's new Dolly model turns your words into pieces of art. And this is their new model. So their old Dolly model was announced January 2021, and now it is April 2022 with Dolly 2. And this is 4x greater resolution uh, with a lot uh, better better not only uh, quality, but also diversity. Um, and this is a 3.5 billion parameter uh, version um, of the model. And it was highly favored by human evaluators and the results look quite frankly, amazing. Um, and what's cool is that you can uh, also make realistic edits to the images. So you can mask out certain parts um, and create different variations from it. And I've seen some really amazing uh, samples from it. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's this has been ongoing for a while. I think we've talked about in, in the past of this whole thing of generating images from descriptions, which just started like a year ago, really, right? Uh, but even still, even having been uh, seeing a lot of improvements uh, over time, seeing this announcement from OpenAI of Dali 2 was still mind-blowing. <laughs> right. Just uh, for several, like, there is a much higher resolution that they showcase here, uh, building a lot on their work on Glide. Uh, so much higher resolution, uh, much more photorealistic, uh, with much less sort of visible AI weirdness. Um, and yeah, just uh, all around much more capable uh, in terms of kind of the complexity of what you can explain, the fidelity of what it generates, the, um, yeah, like the amount of artifacts you would usually see. Uh, <laughs> Uh, just one example, just one example from the paper. They have an example called a Shiba Inu wearing a beret and a black turtleneck. And I look at this generated image and it looks just like there's barely anything I can point to to say that this is in the photograph. <laughs> it's It's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. And uh, I, I encourage you to go check out their blog and also put yourself on the wait list to play with it. Um, but they do have 
a really fun one where you can, you know, add a corgi to any place in the image. Um, and they show some samples of that where, you know, that you can place a corgi, you know, in a painting at a museum, or you can place it, you know, in front of the paintings. And it, it does seemingly magically show, um, how wonderfully it can generate, uh, that, that corgi into place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I think, yeah, uh, this is, I think DALI 1, uh, you know, text condition image generation was impressive, but still, you know, seemed like research uh, where it wouldn't necessarily have an immediate impact. But here, because the images are so, um, you know, so high fidelity, you could definitely use them to generate whatever random clip art you need for your article or, or presentation. And even more so because you can use it for editing to just alter aspects of an image. I think this is definitely going to be, you know, integrated into a lot of tools in the fairly near future. So open eye does it again. <laughs> again. And of course they're caring a lot about safety and doing a very slow release uh, of of this piece of work, because of course this can generate many deep fakes. Um, and I also have seen that they have asked people who do have access not to uh, post, you know, images of human faces. Yeah, which is good. Uh, they they have a section in the paper and on a blog post talking about it. And you know, we've talked in in the past about revenge porn and things like that. So this could be used to that, and it's good that they're uh, mindful of that. And on to the next story, actually quite related, we have uh, the Pathways language model Palm scaling to 540 billion parameters for breakthrough performance. And this is a, a blog post from uh, Google AI about a new language model called Palm. Uh, language model being the same thing as GPT-3, right? Kind of the thing that kicked off this era of so-called foundation models basically gigantic, humongous models. So GPT-3 back in 2020 uh, was pretty mind-blowing at 185 uh, billion parameters. Now Google has released uh, details about this model that's uh, almost uh, three times larger. And, uh, you know, surprise, it's, it's better. <laughs> it's better and uh, can do a, a lot of stuff. And basically is a lot of the same stuff you've already seen with GPT-3 scaled up to do yet better. Uh, but uh, I guess the emphasis here in this paper is a couple things. One of them is just the engineering effort, the system engineering to be able to scale, uh, to train something this big. So they are using... Uh, 6,000, more than 6,000 chips. Uh, and the, this is not just some, you know, CPUs, GPUs, this is TPUs. So you can imagine trying to parallelize training something this big across that many chips. Just the engineering effort alone is very complicated and they are able to get very high efficiency in terms of uh, all, with all the data transfer, you still are using those chips efficiently. Uh, so yeah, I, we can still keep going higher, <laughs> it seems. And uh, aside from that, there are some interesting things here of you can um, do something interesting where you uh, can improve performance with 
um, kind of multiple iterations of solving something. Uh, so in some cases, on some of these tasks, you can even do better than uh, a human performance on average. Uh, if you just uh, average over um, several outputs uh, of a model. So yeah, <laughs> the trend of gigantic models continues. Surprise, surprise, not really. <laughs> but uh, yes, this is much, much larger. And as we were talking about earlier, you know, 500 billion, 540 billion parameters of a dense model, not a sparse model is huge. And I guess it's now the state of the art in terms of the lar largest language model. And it also appears uh, to have Im performance improvements, meaning uh we can continue to make them larger and they will continue to get better. Uh, so that trend definitely continues. Um, and now it's more a matter about a uh, matter of hardware. And I know a lot of the hardware companies are scrambling to figure out how to support, you know, GPT-4, GPT-N. Um, and it, it really is hardware following this giant software trend. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so uh, partially it's it is indicative that we'll get more of this, and uh, you know this this is called the pathways language model because it's actually showcasing a pathway system, uh, which is Google's way to train these gigantic things. And the other thing is, yeah, they did also showcase that there is a log linear improvement. So basically, improvements haven't plateaued. You can keep going bigger and uh, keep doing better. So we'll definitely keep seeing this uh, uh, going forward. <laughs> we'll see how big we can get. And on to our lightning round. The first article is Stanford researchers have developed a machine learning based algorithm to detect autism in brain quote footprints. And so patients with autism who are diagnosed early and definitively actually might benefit from earlier therapies with better results. And now there's this ML algorithm that can tell if someone has autism by analyzing their brain images. Second article is John Hopkins, heart scanning AI predicts cardiac arrests up to 10 years ahead. And so like the title of this article suggests, John Hopkins University researchers have developed uh, an approach they say can actually help predict if and when someone could die of cardiac arrest based on image scans of their heart. Of course, this is all research, so it's preliminary, but... Uh... As all, yeah, a lot of stuff on uh, uh, medical imaging. Uh, very exciting as always. And then we also have a couple other things. Uh, we have AI betting agents weigh in on reproducibility of research findings. So Penn State researchers have created these synthetic prediction markets for speculating on the replicability of published studies with unparalleled accuracy. So we can even tell when the research will not be <laughs> replicable, which is fairly amusing. We should just start using this to review papers instead of people, I think. Um, and then we also have AI turns infrared images taking total darkness into full color. So you can take black and white images with night vision cameras and then colorize them uh, with you know basic kind of training, the same as you can do from uh, black and white 
uh, to color like with all time images. Still uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. So you can take images in total darkness and, and try to get color out of it. That's pretty cool, but obviously know that, you know, it has to be trained on similar images. Otherwise, uh, it won't be able to generalize to actual scenes um, uh, on non-similar images as images that are out of distribution. And on to our applications and business section. Uh, the first article is first autonomous X-ray analyzing AI is cleared in the EU. So last week, the EU actually cleared um, an AI tool that looks at chest x-rays without the oversight from a radiologist. And this is probably the first fully autonomous medical imaging AI um, uh, to be to be uh, cleared by the EU. And specifically, the company is OxyPit. Uh, this is huge. This is absolutely enormous for AI. Um, it'll be certainly contentious. Um, radiologists will definitely feel like their jobs are being slightly automated. Uh, which, you know, has been slightly threatened before. Um, and uh, basically what the tool does is called ChestLink. Um, it looks at chest x-rays and it will send patient reports on those that it sees as very healthy, um, kind of like a triaging tool, and then images that don't look healthy will be then sent to a radiologist for review. Yeah, yeah. So the concept here, according to the company, is that most uh, x-rays don't have any issues. Uh, and so automating process can cut down on the work of radiologists. So it's really not replacing the need for radiologists. You still need them for those problematic cases, but you are making them more efficient because now we don't need to scan things that are maybe obviously fine. And um, yeah, so the EU, uh, this, this product got this uh, CE mark uh, in the EU, which basically means that, it, um, means that it meets safety standards and can be used um, similar to how in the US we have the FDA clearance for um, medical and, and food devices and, and things like that. Uh, and the company is hoping to uh, have it be used by healthcare organizations by 2023. So really, uh, really soon. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I've seen something like this. I know there's been like trials of using these sorts of things, of course, but uh, to my knowledge, this is a big deal. Like you said, Sharon. Definitely is. <laughs> And actually, similarly, I think might be a big deal. We have a second story. Werner to use self-driving trucks on a 600-mile lane deemed unappealing for human truck drivers. So Werner Enterprises, this uh, trucking company, partnered with the autonomous uh, vehicle tech company Aurora to launch this commercial pilot in Texas, where they outfitted trucks with Aurora autonomous truck technology and they will have these trucks doing the 600 mile lane, a uh, bit of a trip that is one of the busiest commercial fourways uh, between Atlanta and Los Angeles. Uh, and they say this is a good sort of thing to try because this is a nine hour drive that's long distance and monotonous, and um, truck drivers just don't enjoy doing it. So having this autonomous driving capability on these long journeys um, 
it would actually uh, let um, you know autonomous trucks handle the less popular routes, while human drivers can transfer more convenient things that are conductive to desirable lifestyles. So again, I think potentially a big deal. I'm not sure if there's been um, you know many uh, actual uses of uh, autonomous driving for trucking and that's definitely coming and is going to be a huge deal so i found this quite interesting this is quite interesting uh and i think it's also werner enterprises that you know is the more old school uh, truck driving company is recognizing that they want to upgrade uh into using ai with aurora and to to move that forward instead of having resistance so this is um, an interesting partnership, and I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, yeah. For now, this is a pilot, so there's still a safety driver on board, but it's definitely indicative. Of, I think this this kind of partnership is all all but inevitable to be how things are done in the near future. And on to our lightning round. The first article is Elon Musk says production of Tesla's robot could start next year, but AI experts have their doubts. Uh, so this is the Tesla robot, humanoid robot that was unveiled uh, at AI Day, uh, Tesla. And uh, it is obviously unclear with every timeline Elon puts out when this robot named Optimus uh, will actually come out and how sophisticated it'll be. But we will see. Yeah. <laughs> she, she said we have a shot of being in production for version one of Optimus, hopefully next year. So we have a shot, hopefully, is uh, already basically saying it's not happening. Uh, I, you know, I'll be surprised if there's a working prototype. Okay. I will be surprised. I will be surprised if it goes beyond that person dancing at AI Day. Yeah, show me version point zero one first. <laughs> yes, which was, you know, that was the human in the loop, uh, WYSIWYG, Wizard of Oz <laughs> person in a... <laughs> that was version zero, okay. Uh, okay. We okay. saw version zero, now we need version point zero one where there's actual electronics involved. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. It could be a human wearing electronics, perhaps. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> um, anyways, our next article is this California-based health tech startup is using artificial intelligence to modernize and personalize fertility care. So an SF-based startup called A Life Health is using AI to improve IVF fertility outcomes, which is really exciting. There are others in the space, but I'm, I'm very excited to see this space grow. Yeah, uh, it's uh, cool to find out about it. And then uh, similarly, there's another article on using machine learning to improve student success in higher education. And this article is basically uh, from McKinsey, an overview of different ways in which machine learning uh, and analytics in general can help support uh, you know, student access, success, and, and just experience. So pretty interesting read with uh, quite a bit of detail. And then we also have Microsoft and HPE put AI to the test on interna International Space Station with gloves. Uh, so this is from GeekWire, and it talks about how um, Microsoft deployed its um, Azure AI uh, services and partnered with NASA to sort of test out 
uh, how it could be useful. And and one of the applications was checking whether the glove uh, of an astronaut was clean. Uh, and there were a bunch of other tasks. So kind of, yeah. Uh, apparently, there is a senior director of Azure Space at Microsoft, and, and they're trying to bring AI to space and empower space developers off the planet with Azure. So <laughs> it's enabling ability to build in the cloud and then deploy in space. Uh, so, okay, pretty far out. Um, they have it a, is. It is to make, you know, make sure that the gloves don't have, you know, toxic things on them. And well, that's, that's, uh, there are um, other tasks. There's, uh, <laughs> they did a bunch of them, but that's one of them. Yeah. But, it's, you know, this is clearly a bit of a marketing uh, trick. They even have like a marketing video. Uh, but at the same time, uh, kind of, yeah, pretty cool still. And on to our society and ethics section. Uh, the first article is California suggests taking aim at AI powered hiring software. Uh, so there's a new proposed amendment uh, to California's hiring discrimination laws, and that would make AI powered employment decisions a source of legal liability, uh, meaning that you can't you know, use AI powered um decision-making tools for hiring uh, someone or maybe even firing someone um, without keeping a record um, of, of all the data and the decision-making that went into it um, for something between two to four years. And so there'll be pretty strict record-keeping requirements on this. Um, so this is being proposed now um, and it is trying to mitigate you know, possible discrimination made by these AI powered tools and to be able to look at them in court if anything does happen. Yeah, so this is just an amendment for now. It's it's not really even uh, being reviewed or submitted for passage. Uh, some analysis from a lawyer um, did uh, say that this is pretty broadly written so the, the automated decision system and algorithms are very broadly defined, which means that it's not just about necessarily protecting against discrimination. It uh, could include systems that are just designed to aid human decision making in small ways and not just, you know, um, rejecting or approving and hiring things. So unclear how well thought out this law is, but certainly something that um, we'll see more of probably just this notion of um, generally um, having uh, regulation of algorithmic discrimination. Uh, that's inevitably going to be a thing that uh, I guess uh countries, uh, governments will have to deal with. And it's not too surprising California is jumping on it uh, pretty early on. And on to something else uh, having to do with politics, uh, a good deal more grave and, and concerning and uh, pressing. We have a story called As Russia Pilots Its Next Move. And AI listens to the chatter. This is from Wired. Uh, so this is a pretty uh, detailed article on how uh, different from prior wars, this one, when you intercept communications between soldiers, for instance, Russian soldiers, uh, now, you know, if you collect all this data, all this communication, 
which has been the case of Russian soldiers talking on kind of Ukrainian cell phones and, and lines that are open. Um, now you can have AI to transcribe, you know, the conversation and understand what's being said and even look for keywords and things like that. And yeah, so this article talks about, it has an example and talks about uh, some algorithms developed by Primer, a U.S. company that allows us for this sort of analysis and how Ukraine is actually using that, which is quite interesting. Yep, very interesting to uh, see Primer come into the mix uh, as kind of an AI-powered palantir, uh, especially for uh, speech and NLP, um, and uh, specifically here to help help with the war. Yeah, it's it seems like, uh, I mean... Broadly speaking, this is not new in a sense, right? Uh, this is just instead of just, um, you know, intercepting communications and finding what, what they say now, I guess you can use AI to, um, first of all, unencrypt uh, communications better and then also to just scale up your ability to surveil and uh, kind of analyze things for important markers. And yeah, this is, it, it appears to be already being done. So this is AI being used in practice in a war zone. And um, I guess it's, yeah, maybe a bit sobering to think about. And on to our lightning round. The first article is face scanner and Clearview AI aims to branch out beyond police. So as we've heard much about Clearview AI, uh, they now have aspirations to go into the private market and um, compete with Amazon and Microsoft to verify a person's face for either bank transactions or general commercial purposes. The second article is Google says AI generated content is against guidelines. So uh, actually John Mueller, who is Google's search advocate, actually has said that content automatically generated with AI writing tools is considered spam uh, according to the search engine's guidelines, which is huge, I think. Interesting. Yeah. So you can't just like have a blog that's entirely <laughs> gpt free okay. run and you get the ad revenue or whatever yes. yes yeah and then um onto some other kind of ethical or societal implications first up we have ai powered camera traps could protect gabon wildlife from poachers or gabon i think um and yeah this is about how ai powered camera traps uh give these wildlife rangers a new tool in the fight against poaching and biodiversity loss which is of course of course a good thing and we also have an article from scientific american called what ai can do for climate change and what climate change can do for ai which is as the title implies a, a pretty broad overview of um this uh, combination of AI and climate change and how the two can interact. Um, and it talks about um, AI becoming more open and democratic uh, as part of these two things coming together. So if you're curious about that intersection, you can check this out. And I think they actually have a project called This Climate Does Not Exist. So they you know, generate a lot of 
fake possible climate scenarios like wildfires or floods, um, part of which I, I had worked on in my PhD with them. And it's, it's very cool to see some of those scenes, especially in light of Dolly too. And onto our fun and neat section. The first article is the 11 commandments of hugging robots, how to build a humanoid that gives perfect hugs. And this is based on the paper in the arms of a robot designing autonomous hugging robots with intra hug gestures. And I kid you not, it's the words intra hug that are in the paper title. Within a hug, in the in the process of a hug. Yes, yes, and this is some human robot interaction work showing a robot hugging a person. This robot is donning an interesting outfit, you know, fabric, uh, and uh, it's a very large robot, and you know, hugs these participants, uh, and you know, one interesting observation is that users enjoyed the robot hugs. Um, regardless of the performed action. And they, they actually valued the users, the humans valued variety in the robots response in its gestures during the hug. Uh, I found this very interesting. There's a little bit of uncanny value for someone who does not work on robotics. Um, what do you think, Andre? <laughs> yeah, we had a fun, fun chat about this before recording, uh, to paint a bit more of a word picture. There's a custom robot that they used for this paper called the Huggy Bot 3.0. So, and it's, it is kind of like, um, you know, imagine you have just a human wearing this long skirt and like a hoodie and gloves. And then there's a computer monitor jutting out of the hoodie that has a smiley face on it. And, uh, yeah, the hoodie is just like packed with stuffing or something. <laughs> That's kind of how this looks. Um, to me, it looked kind of cute and adorable, but I think Sharon found it very uh, uncanny. <laughs> um, bet, yes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is, I found it pretty fun. Uh, this is, yeah, in the HRI human-robot interaction space. So it it is looking at, you know, like it, it actually a serious research on the question of can how do you design a robot to give hugs that are actually emotionally uh comforting and um you know the design robot has some elements of guess the arms are padded and there's mittens uh, and these air-filled chambers so it's it's all it's it's a soft robot you know it's not gonna hurt you that's for sure and then if you look at the paper itself i found it if nothing else definitely uh fun <laughs> Also, I would say probably interesting. So just to expand a bit more on this, uh, the abstract of the paper says that they present six new guidelines for designing interactive hugging robots that they validate for two studies with their custom robot. So they investigated responses to four human intra-hug gestures, holding, rubbing, patting, and squeezing. As we all know, during a hug, you can pat someone on the back, you can give them a squeeze, you can hold them. All of these are real things you could do. And how would robot react? You know, it's a real question. And so 32 humans uh, each exchanged and rated 16 hugs with an experimental controlled Huggy Bot 
And then robots torso, uh, torso, microphone, and pressure sensors collected data on the subject demonstrations that then used to create an algorithm of classified user actions with 88 accuracy. The users enjoyed robot squeezes, uh, like you said, and liked variety and appreciated robot-initiated intra-hug gestures. So they then created a probabilistic behavior algorithm that chooses robot responses in real time, created this Hoggybot 3.0, and then validated it with the 16 users. And the robot's responses and proactive gestures were greatly enjoyed, according to the abstract. Uh, users found the robot more natural, enjoyable, and intelligent in the last phase of an experiment. After the study, they felt more understood by the robot and thought robots were nicer to hug. <laughs> so, I, you know, if that's not a delightful abstract, I don't know what is. Uh, I want to give this robot a hug. I don't know. I want to see you give that robot a hug. <laughs> I totally would. I totally would. I totally would watch you. All right. Well, uh, I guess hopefully you'll come. It's in Germany, but one day, one day we'll get that chance. Instead of emotional support puppies that we get as grad students, <laughs> we could get some robots. And on to our uh, last article and our second uh, fun and neat story. We have uh, adding AI to museum exhibits increases learning and keeps kids engaged longer. So researchers from the CMU Human uh, Computer Int Interaction Institute, HCAI, uh, in demonstrated that you can use AI to create a new genre of interactive hands-on exhibits that include a virtual assistant to interact with visitor. And then, yeah, basically that apparently having AI in uh, computer vision turned um, this uh, sort of notion of purposeful, purposeful, purposeful play. And they outfitted uh, this earthquake table with a camera, touch screen, and this intelligent agent Norilla that replaced static signs and Norilla, this virtual gorilla interacts with participants and uh, takes them through different challenges and asks them questions, uh, which kids uh, enjoyed. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm not too surprised, but it's cool to see this sort of HCI research. Yeah, this is really cool to see museums being more interactive and interesting uh, for kids and potentially for adults as well. I would love for a museum to be a little bit more alive, I suppose, uh, that that would make it much more um, or at least a very different experience than right now. It feels like everything is passive and you're kind of engaging with it and it just is finite. It feels very finite. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do. I do think. Chatbots, I think, especially for sort of fun activities or sort of chatbots for ordering a pizza, whatever is kind of boring, but for, you know, walking around a space like a museum, uh, if you have a chatbot that you could just ask random questions, I could see myself enjoying that in an art museum. So I think for kids where this gorilla is talking to them and ask them questions and then also, um, talks to them about whatever, I could definitely see this uh, being engaging. 
And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast. Again, you can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai. And as always, I'm not sure why we have this in the script, but subscribe to us if you haven't. Uh, I'm not sure if you would listen until then if you're not subscribed, but uh, do that. Uh, and if you are subscribed, then as always, you could also consider giving us a review and a review, uh, a rating and a review. I don't know if ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts actually help but I like to think so. And I also like reading, you know, the positive feedback sometimes. So that's why we ask, you know, it's, it's just something nice to uh, see occasionally. Um, but no pressure. Uh, and just be sure to tune in next week.